Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm John Negroni, film editor for theyoungfolks.com. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. It's Will Ashton. Hey. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com. You can also find written reviews, videos, and merch, all that fun stuff. You can always send us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com, and check out our Patreon if you want to support the show. Hmm. Patreon.com slash Cinemaholics. Check out that link in the show notes. Yeah. Now, we have a, a few movies to get to this week. I want to point out, before we get right into Ghostbusters, I, I, I kind of want to mention, you know, it's award season, peak award season. People yeah. are in their feelings. Uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, going on right now. Yeah, I mean, people are already coming in hot and early with some takes, which uh, I guess is to be expected. Seems a little early for those, but, you know, never too early with award season, I guess. It's true. Award season. Award yeah. season. Yeah, it's it's coming fast. It's coming heavy. I, I've seen a lot of things lately that I'm excited to talk to you about, like Liquor's sure. Pizza and Red Rocket. But yeah, we, don't we have to rub a, it in. But sure, I, I don't want to rub. I just want to say, you know, you should get hyped because I got to be honest with you, Will. I mean, Ghostbusters, I just saw it only like on Monday. And of all the movies I've seen, it's it's so far a distant memory. Like, I, it's kind of fascinating. Like, I keep having to remind myself that's the feature review this week. Sure. Like a movie that's fresher in my mind is one of the other movies we're talking about, which is King Richard, which I saw mm-hmm. weeks ago and you just saw. So... I think, uh, yeah, it's not doing super well at the box office, so I don't think no, it would count not. as a featured review. Yeah, yeah. But, Ghostbusters uh, is the one, huh? Yeah, Ghostbusters. It's weird because it's it's in that same uh, league of films that feels like it doesn't belong to any particular year because it was supposed to come out in 2020, and then it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed, and then it is actually out now. But it feels like it came out like a long time ago, and it's also weird that's coming out in November. Like, shouldn't this be coming out in October or the summer? Right. But whatever. It's out. That's how I feel as well. But you know what? Regardless of what we think about the release date and and all of that business, let's just review the movie. Let's review Ghostbusters Afterlife. You're a great mom. I don't know. I'm fine with Trevor. But with Phoebe, she really keeps me on the outside. That's normal. She's an awkward, nerdy kid. Maybe a new home can be an opportunity to start fresh. I just wish she'd get into some trouble. There's still time. What are you doing here in Somerville, anyway? We're completely broke. And our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Your father wasn't much of a homemaker. He could hardly keep the power on. You're saying he left us nothing? Well, I wouldn't say nothing. went with station wagon? It's the only one that had an engine. What is happening here? Somehow, a town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Maybe it's the apocalypse. All right, so Ghostbusters Afterlife was directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original Ghostbusters from 1984. I want, I want to say this at the, the onset, Will. 
I like the original Ghostbusters. I've seen it a few times, like two or three times. I think it's, it's fun funny. Movie. It's very, yeah. yeah, it's it's breezy. It's very inventive for the time mm-hmm. and how it has multiple genres that usually wouldn't have gone together during that film era. Right. People, though, they love Ghostbusters. They worship this thing. And I'm not judging. Like, you love what sure. you love. But I've always been kind of like fascinated and curious about like, why, why do you think people love Ghostbusters as much as they do? Like that generation, I think it's like a Gen X thing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the appeal as I see it for Ghostbusters is that it's like seeing an action comedy with your dad and his uncle and your uncle and his two friends. Like that's I feel like that was the appeal of the film was that you're seeing a bunch of guys who aren't normally in a movie like this being the kind of uh, goofy action comedy stars of this. And I think that's certainly appealing. And certainly I think, you know, for a film like this, that became unexpectedly an avenue for a lot of horror fans into the genre, even though it's not like a horror movie per se, it has a lot of horror elements into it. That I think kind of gets you, it's a good like babysit movie. If you want to like really? get somebody into horror, I think it would huh. be like a film. Like if I were to show, like if, if um, let's say like a, a 10 year old or something, or like maybe a 12 year old or something was like wanting to get in the horror, but they haven't seen a lot of horror movies yet. And you don't want, you don't want to like start with something heavy mm. duty. That's but interesting. I've never, never thought yeah. of Ghostbusters as a gateway film for horror. Well, movies. I, I think it's a gateway film for that. And I think it's also a gateway film into like that ribald comedy of the eighties. Like you wouldn't show maybe like a 10 year old Caddyshack or animal house or something like that. Yeah, but you'd show yeah. Ghostbusters. And that gets you like, that's your introduction to Bill Murray. That's your introduction yeah, yeah. to Dan Aykroyd. It's more sanitized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but sure. I, I guess I had a different experience and everybody does. But my gateway to horror was just horror movies. Like just just regular horror movies. I don't remember ever getting one that was kind of like horror light. Like I think the one that like when I was 12, I was watching like The Ring and sure. Darkness Falls. You know what I mean? Like sure. not exactly Saw, but yeah. although right. I did see that when I was like 13. So. Yeah, same here. I guess but, everybody um, has their own, you know. Yeah, I get. I, I'm saying it doesn't have to be exclusive to horror because the movie itself, it like you said, it blends a lot of genres pretty effectively. I think in some ways that almost you forget how well it it, it is like a horror yeah. movie and a comedy and an action movie and all this. And so, yeah, I mean, not without its flaws. It's definitely a shabby kind of shaggy movie when you rewatch it now in a modern lens, but. Yeah, it just works. It's a you know it it comes from the mad mind of uh, Dan Aykroyd, and yeah. you know it's a it's I a movie. I wouldn't call him I, mad. The world I, is mad. I say He's sane. I I say mad with love because I think right. he is kind of kooky, but like in a very sweet endearing way it's if like he comes up with these really weird ideas for movies and comedy ideas. Yeah. and he's my he enthusiastic. Fr- he's my enthusiastic yeah. movie uncle. You know. Right. Like I, like I go yeah. like during the holidays, like he'll he's so passionate about something. I had no idea people were passionate about. He's that yeah. kind of guy. Like I said, if like Bill Murray's like your dad, he's like your weird uncle that you don't really under, you can't get a read on him, but you enjoy spending time with him because he just says a lot of weird outlandish things and he has opinions about aliens for some reason. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I don't know if you ever heard like the original idea for Ghostbusters, like what Dan Aykroyd had in mind initially. No, supposedly. like what the original original yeah, idea. Like, so. Ghostbusters is going to be like a thousand year spanning story about like the history of ghosts and like oh, humans' relationship to ghosts. Yeah, and, I, remember, I remember people talking about this during when the 2016 reboot came yeah. out. And, you know, Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman were just like, it's literally impossible for us to make this movie as it is. And there's just like a nugget of idea where like there's like these guys are hired to take care of ghosts, like Ghostbusters. Okay, we could do like kind of like a blue collar working class yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, control, with this. but for ghosts, it's fun. Right. 
it's like, okay, we can work with that. And then they just went in the cabin for like two weeks, rewrote the script with that idea. And then, you know, movie magic happened, but it just, they still have to me, yeah, the, yeah. well, they still have the thousand year Zool curse thing. It's not like they got rid of that completely, I guess, but like, it's just no. a, an element instead of the driving narrative. Right. But my, what I was leading up to is that if we're going to get 12,000 Ghostbusters movies, I want to see that original Dan Aykroyd skipped <laughs> on the screen. Okay. Let's see it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's the Ghostbusters miniseries on Netflix where you could fit that? Yeah, or I guess the uh, the HBO Max, I think, would be more, you know, if you were doing like a Zack Snyder's Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, look, yeah, I, I, re- I agree with you. Like, I, And I, I, I understand like what people really like about that first movie because it, it's funny and like i think the, i think it has a lot of appeal now jason reitman has been making movies that have like a very different sort of appeal you know very different movies from his dad he's made more down-to-earth family dramas mm-hmm. you know or and not even family dramas uh, but like adult dramas movies. like yeah, dramas, adult dramas for adults yeah. Yeah, coming of age movies for adults. Because uh, he he made Juno. He made my favorite movie from him is probably Up in the Air. Uh, I think that one's just endlessly re- rewatchable. Uh, he also made yeah, Young Adult and Tully mm-hmm. and and plenty others. I think I think what I like about his movies is that he's really good. And I said this in my review. He's really good at like capturing a very authentic chemistry between family members, like just the way that like siblings and their parents, like the way people interact within family units is really, really strong. Like I always get the sense of like, yeah, these people are related, even if they're actors that I know very well and I know they're not actually Mm -hmm. related. He's good at pulling off that illusion. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they, they, they had that whole sort of thing where he gets on screen, right? And he's like, this is a family movie, you know, and then cue the Fast oh, you... and Furious, you know, but he, okay. he's talking about how his like dad was there with him and was with mm-hmm. him like every step of the way, kind of, kind of almost in a, I thought kind of scary. I thought it was, the implications were kind of weird of like, oh man, I would, I would not like to make a movie where my dad was, you know, looking over the entire, looking over my shoulder. Right. Like, I don't know about you, I guess. But yeah, hey, I mean, I guess you got this intro that I didn't get to this movie. <laughs> I didn't see it. There was nothing like this for me when I saw really? it. Really? Okay. Yeah, I didn't get this. Yeah, and he also said, and, and this is when I knew we were in for it, and we're not going to talk about this yet, I guess, but he was like, you're going to go on the greatest Easter egg hunt of your life, and you could hear the groans in, in the entire room. People were like, oh, geez, no, please. <laughs> it's going to be that. Um, but we'll, we'll probably get to all that stuff here in a minute. Now, Jason Reitman doing this movie. Here, here's what here's uh, the basic setup. So th- this isn't like the original Ghostbusters. It's not like Ghostbusters two. It's also not like the 2016 Paul Feig reboot, which you know got decent reviews from critics. Critics mostly liked it at the time it came out. It it wasn't a box office failure, but it didn't really make money. I think it it might have broken even. It might have lost a little bit of money, but it wasn't like uh yeah. It wasn't a total failure, right? It was. It was one of those movies where. If it was even like 40 minutes or a $40 million cheaper to make, I think it would have been a hit, but yeah. it just cost too much money and didn't make enough money to justify being a exactly. hit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it also had, you know, the unfortunate, you know, it, it had such a lot of it all this backlash. Like people were really, really coming out against it. Uh, very, very misogynistic people who just they didn't mm-hmm. want a Ghostbusters movie with all female ghostbusters like yeah. by principle the trailer got like ransacked you know there was all this like it was pretty boring like the whole thing was pretty lame well 
Yeah. I just remember in 2016, it was just like, I don't want to talk about the election. Can we not talk about the election? Like, all right, let's talk about Ghostbusters. Like, okay, anything but the election and Ghostbusters. Can we (laughs) talk about something else? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2016 was pretty awful. Uh, But... You know, the movie, I mean, I, I really didn't like that movie at all. Like, I didn't understand what people really liked about it. They were like, oh, yeah, this is yeah. fine. And I thought it was, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a slog. I don't know. I, I I thought it was so unfunny. Like, it's just it just wasn't my sense of humor. It was just such a cliched studio comedy, I thought. I, I, didn't, I, guess I didn't really like it at all. It's my thing with Paul Feig for most of his movies where I just feel like this is fine if you just had enough impulse control to cut this down by even like 20 minutes i'd prefer half an hour or 40 minutes sure. but like if you could just if you could bring this down to like a 95 minute runtime i think i'd find it way more tolerable but he just seems to like kind of let his actors rift to the detriment of the film where he he seems like a really nice guy like he just like you know wants to have a very open collaborative set but i just don't think he has enough uh impulse control to really be like okay this is weighing the film down okay like every one of his films feels like the director's cut that you'd get on dvd or like the like unrated cut or whatever and it's just like okay show me like the theatrical cut but it's like this is a theatrical cut <laughs> you never hear that from will <laughs> like hey i want the one with studio notes uh, right yeah <laughs> well that said right jason reitman i mean he was working on this take on ghostbusters reportedly before the reboot had become a thing, right? Like it was kind of like a thing that he had been dreaming of for a few years that he kind of wanted to take the torch from his dad and do his own Ghostbusters movie. Supposedly. We don't Uh, know that for sure. I doubt that. I think he just, he has a slew of flops and it was just like, well, I guess this is my... It's been a while since he had a hit, huh? At least financially. I mean, like, I think the last like commercial hit he had was maybe up in the air. I don't know how well uh, Young Adult did. Yeah, not but, very well. Uh, but yeah, no, Tully, Tully was not a success uh, financially. Yeah, I mean, was, he's had critical yeah. hit after critical hit. I mean. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Young Adult and Tully were like his last like critical hits. I guess the front runner front did runner, okay crit- yeah, critic-wise. In the middle. Labor Day was a complete failure. Uh, and Men, Men and Women, and Children, Children was just, an embarrassment oh, for everybody boy. involved. I, I think. can't believe but, that yeah. would, he wrote that. Like, this guy wrote this movie? It was very odd. Yeah, but no. Yeah, I think Juno went up in the air, and I think was th- I think Thank You for Smoking might have been like a pretty not like a money maker. Like that thing wasn't you know paying people salaries or anything. But yeah, it wasn't like a that was a an indie darling. I think yeah, it was like a Sundance movie that became a pretty sizable hit. His first movie too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. Now, yeah. that said, I, I I like the idea though of. You know, I like the dynamic of this movie of like, let's just do something different with Ghostbusters. We've done the thing where they're in New York multiple times where there's like, oh, we got to get the a group pest control, ghost busting, you know, blue collar, you know, wisecracking people to get them together to bust a ghost and then fight off an ancient curse. We've seen that several times at this point like every ghostbusters movie has been that so i like like i i remember the trailer came out and it just had like a different feel to it you know you see the ecto one kind of like going through a, a wheat field and it's like oh what if ghostbusters but spielberg is i guess like the main selling point of this movie is like we're gonna do it in a small town it's gonna be geared around kids instead of a bunch of adults and I, I thought like that, that to me was a, a good proposition. I can see why this movie is making some money because people like Ghostbusters. It had a really good opening, you know, box office. I think uh, lower than the 2016 reboot, but I guess when you factor in the pandemic, it's not, it's, it's pretty equivalent and, and I'd say impressive for 
the times. But I think people have been looking at this movie and being like, yeah, yeah, I, I like Ghostbusters and I want to see something kind of different with the Ghostbusters. Now, the setup of this movie is that we have Carrie Coon, who plays a single mother. She has two kids. One of them's played by Finn Wolfhard. The other's played by McKenna Grace. And I think they live in like Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Like I thought it was New York, but then you see an Illinois license plate. So I was like, oh, maybe it's Chicago. They, they get evicted. Uh, you know, they, yeah. they inherit a farmhouse that belongs to somebody who is was probably one of the original Ghostbusters. That's what they they hint at very strongly. I mean, people are going to know. Like, they, they play a little coy with it in the movie, I guess. But do you, do you want to just say who it is? Like, is, is that it's, okay? Yeah, it's the... Yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you, if you really don't want to know, I, I again, it's not really a surprise. Like, once you see Phoebe, played by McKenna Grace in this movie, you're like, oh, okay. Like, it's <laughs> like obviously, this is the granddaughter of uh, Aegon Spangler played by Harold Ramis, the late Harold Ramis, who passed away in 2014. Now, they inherit this farmhouse where he had been living for a long time. We don't know what, we don't initially know what happened to the other Ghostbusters, but nobody's seen a ghost in 30 years. But some spooky stuff happened in nowhere. Uh, sorry, that's a Curse Cowardly Dog reference, but same kind of vibe. Uh, basically, there's a bunch of weird stuff happening in this town called Somerville, Oklahoma. And as they sort of inherit the ghost busting equipment and recruit a couple, you know, people around town, like there is Paul Rudd, who is the summer school teacher, who's also a seismologist. And he's, he's basically just Paul Rudd. Like he's Paul Rudd. We've seen him in many movies, but in a Ghostbusters movie. And then there is a kid named Podcast played by Logan Kim. Yes, his name is Podcast and he has a podcast. He's, this has sparked many debates with Bill Ashton and myself over which one of us should be named Podcast moving forward. And so, Will, have we decided? what it's going to be both of us uh you're welcome to take that mantle really from me you yeah, were so adamant about it earlier uh no i you're yelling at me not i <laughs> i think i would live in shame if i had the nickname podcast <laughs> well i, I want to say real quick though his name he's named podcast but this kid logan kim really good i thought like he kind of takes pretty rough material and kind of makes it work better than it should uh, i don't know if you uh, agree with that but i i, I thought he did it really Good job. First film ever for this guy. Was it? I don't know. I mean, yeah. didn't, I, I wasn't put off by his performance per se. I didn't, it didn't really stick with me, but um, the yeah, movie did a good fine. job of like setting a very low bar by being like, this is a character named podcast. So like he could only impress from there. Maybe <laughs> it's like, wow, this character is functional. But anyway, uh, so they, they investigate all these things happening in the town. And then I actually think this movie like throughout like the first I'm going to say like a little past the halfway point. I'm really into it. It's it does. It is doing that thing I was saying earlier where it feels like a Jason Wright moon movie that happens to have Ghostbuster stuff in it. But then there's like a turning point in this movie where it sort of flips on a dime. And then all of a sudden, the ghost of the 1984 film just will not shut up. Like it's just there persistent throughout the entirety of most of the second half of the movie. And it stops being the movie that we were promised. It stops being, I think the entertaining sort of like coming of age family adult movie with really fun performances. And it just kind of becomes a big old ghost hunt. And I think it becomes way less interesting. And I don't, I don't hate this movie. Will, but I got to say, I was, I was pretty disappointed and i didn't even have very high expectations but what did you think of ghostbusters afterlife uh my expectations were pretty low uh almost surprisingly so like you um i feel like i was pretty fond of jason reitman's earlier work 
Uh, certainly, I know back in like 2009, Up in the Air was my favorite movie of that year. I rewatched it during the pandemic, and I still like it. I don't think I like it quite as much as I did then, but uh, I think that first four-film run of uh, Thank You for Smoking, Juno, Up in the Air, and Young yeah. Adult is really Fantastic. strong. Fantastic yeah, stuff. Uh, young Adult might be my favorite of those four now, but I have to. Really? Okay. I don't know. I really, I think Young Adult is better than people give it credit, but I need to rewatch it. I but, agree. It's um, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I like Tully a good bit and I think the front runner is fine. But yeah, I mean, just the amount of it, it wasn't dread I felt going into it, but I just kind of felt this sense of like if we weren't covering it on the podcast, I would not see this film. Probably certainly not in theaters. Um, just because I'm just like, especially coming out of the culture wars that were 2016 with Ghostbusters, I just felt so over this franchise and I just felt this movie was coming in, feeling very reactionary towards it. It had the same vibe I was getting from Rise of Skywalker, where it just felt like the studio was overcorrecting itself to be like, no, 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 like this is exactly like it's pandering to the, uh, people who were the loudest and meanest about, uh, this property as they were seeing it being bastardized or whatever because it wasn't what it was in the 80s or 70s or whatever. So now people are like, I, I don't want change. I want things to be exactly as it was. I want my feelings to be validated for, you know, reverent, uh, you know, feeling so reverent to this property. And so I wasn't going into this super excited and I walked out of it feeling like for, you know, kind of like we were saying for like the first half of it I was like yeah this is more tolerable than I anticipated but still felt kind of tedious and dull like it it still baffles me that there's a Ghostbusters movie it doesn't really want to be a comedy like it, it almost feels like the movie is embarrassed to be a comedy half the time and that's not to say that Jason Reitman is allergic to comedy I mean a lot of his earlier films are darkly comedic or outright comedic like in Juno's case it has uh, like dry so- humor at least though right I guess, but just like like the opening scene feels super dramatic, and then the scenes leading up to it also feel weirdly dramatic in a way. Very it's just true. Like, and way it, it goes on like way this, too long. That opening scene, yeah. like oh my goodness, is like at least sixty seconds way too long. Yeah, it just felt. I don't know. Like it just feels like the movie. It's like like it's obviously trying to be a legacy sequel to the original film in the same way as like the Force Awakens, where it's like we're bringing the band back together. Like this is a big deal, and you should feel the stakes, the gravitas of this. And it's like you know, like it's Ghostbusters. It's a kind of silly movie from the eighties. Like you right. know, you can like it, and you know, it's fun. It's a fun movie, but. It's not like this is like a sacred text. This isn't the Bible or something. It's, you know, it's Ghostbusters. So I don't get why we're so passionate about, you know, like making it feel like this is like holy ground we're we're treading on. Like this is a big deal. And so, I don't know. I felt that that may it feel way more, uh, like I said, tedious than it felt it needed to be. But I was okay with it for the most part until about the last 30 minutes. And that's where it's like callback, 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 reference, 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 needle drop thing reference thing like that and then we get to the last scene where it's like that's like the big like okay like f you like that's that's insulting like the rest of it's like you know boring but inoffensive and that's just like okay like that is just uh not a good decision (laughs) i think and it's trying to be respectful and it feels the opposite of that and uh by the end of it i was just like i i felt that wasn't really worth my time or investment so that's my feelings on it I, I definitely liked it more than you did. I, I can definitely feel that because <laughs> I, I didn't have a bad time while watching this. And like, even though I, I was also really annoyed with stuff happening at the end of the movie, I, I can't say it like ruined the movie for me. Like, I think I liked it more than I disliked it, but seems like that wasn't the case for you. Also, my main takeaway from 
your your review there is like I, it sounds to me like you believe that the Bible should be more like Ghostbusters. Is that the case? Uh, no, uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> that that, be that cool, might right? be getting into some some dangerous territory there. But, right, um, right, right. Yeah, we could we could avoid that. Yeah, put a pin on that. Right, but uh, no, I just mean like like I don't know. I mean, it just. It's a silly comedy from the 80s. I, I don't know why. I agree. Yeah, people right. treat it like it's like not even like Indiana Jones. Like they treat it like Lawrence of Arabia or something. Right. Where it's like this epic, swelling, tear-inducing. It's like a Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, this, it's goofy. And and like that's that's yeah. the zone I like. But people, like you said, they look back on it with such reverence. And it's almost like people miss that or like they crave watching something on the big screen that has that amount of import. You know, it's it's like Force Awakens kind of just triggered something, I think, for a lot of mm-hmm. people. You know what I mean? Like that was a moment when Force Awakens came out, like it or not, that really just took people not by surprise, I guess, but like it really hit people that like there was a new Star Wars movie, like the energy was in the air and people just can't seem to get over that. Like we should we should do that with everything because everything's mm-hmm. like Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, Force Awakens, I think, still is the highest grossing film of all time in the United States. So, I, I, so. Mean, I don't think Avengers Endgame surpassed it. it was, it's in the 900 million zone. I'll look right. it up while you, you say a couple other smart things. Sure. But, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, like Ghostbusters is a movie where Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost. Like, this isn't, this isn't a serious, sacred film. <laughs> like, yeah. this is a film we can play up. You can acknowledge that's silly. And to um, paraphrase something that I saw Patrick Wilms say, if you're watching a Ghostbusters film and it feels weird and jarring when the Ghostbusters song starts to play, then I feel like you didn't really make a good Ghostbusters film. That just seems, yeah. yeah. It doesn't fit at all. I, I, I'd i say like, oh, and I looked it up and we were correct together. Uh, yeah, Star Wars Force Awakens, $936 million at the box office, just North America. Yeah. Uh, Avengers Endgame, 858. That's a huge gap between one and two, right? Avatar is even further down at 749. Sure. So, you know, clearly Force Awakens, it, it had a, a big old, you know. But, but while we kind of wrap things up here, I, I do want to say, because I mentioned that I like this movie, probably... Uh, definitely a lot more than you did, uh, but I didn't love it. I think that there is one scene in here that did kind of, I get ca- I got I got caught up in. Okay, and it's it's a scene where they're in the Ecto One and they're chasing Muncher, who is a misunderstood ghost who I loved, uh, who like eats metal and everything. And I think that sequence, while I didn't love all of the effects of the sequence, like the practical stuff was pretty good. There was some CGI yeah. that was a little bit wonky, but just like the thrill of like. A couple of kids scrapping, you know, together a bunch of equipment to chase down a ghost. Like it was a small stakes kind of thing that felt urgent and interesting. And it wasn't, we got to save the world. It wasn't, look at how cool the Ghostbusters were. It was just like a bunch of kids in over their head and Mm -hmm. just chasing like a a dumb ghost. Like, I mean, I love Muncher, not a dumb ghost, but, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. He's not supposed to be a smart ghost, to be fair. And that's fine. He, I think uh, he's pretty comfortable where he's at. But yeah, that to sure. me is like, that's the zone I wish the entire movie was in. It's not. I think that's where the movie peaks. And then after that, it just doesn't quite ever come back. I know people kind of like the marshmallow scene that happens later, but I just thought that uh, was derivative of like way better like sequences. But that's yeah. just that's just like them trying to do their own minions, though. Like that's just, minions or sausage party or something. Uh, I, I got more minions vibe. But yeah, I mean, it just felt like. That felt like a studio mandate. Like, we got to do something with the State Puff mo- Marshmallow We got to sell man. some merch. Yeah. 
We gotta sell some toys. Uh, hey, Baby Yoda's yeah. in Baby Yoda's a big deal. We gotta get a Baby Yoda. Yeah. What do we got? Right. Oh, we got exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've got these dumb marshmallows. Um, yeah, these weirdly suicidal marshmallows. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I agree that the the muncher scene is probably the highlight of the film, and also. Did you think it was weird that there weren't that many ghosts in this Ghostbusters movie? Very weird. Yeah. yeah. And the ghosts that we do get are very, um, I don't know, like th- th- we haven't seen, like th- they're not original. They don't have like yeah, cool Yeah, Muncher's designs. just a knockoff of Slimer. Yeah. Exactly. He's just right. a metal version or like a metal eating version of Slimer. And then we have the same villain from the original. We have the same demon dogs. And like, yeah, I can't think of anything. And like, yeah, that was weird. I guess, I guess Brightman just didn't want to do that <laughs> he just kind of wanted to focus more on the human characters which okay right but that's that's what i'm trying to say though is it's like it's a movie that's like embarrassed to be a ghostbusters film until it becomes almost forcefully a ghostbusters movie at the end yeah but like, like jason reitman stopped directing it and it got right. taken over by somebody else because like i think also, th- yeah. there's even like a part like where paul rudd and carrie coon are just sitting around and like you know, having a date that's like really awkward. I'm like, man, I, I don't need all the Ghostbusters stuff. I, right. I like this. I would, I would see a romantic comedy with the two of them. I thought they had pretty yeah. good chemistry. I, I was enjoying their scenes together. Yeah, yeah, because he's just like science. Am I right? And what was weird about that scene too is like this is like hours or something after he just saw a ghost for the first time and he doesn't bring it up. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, no one in this movie reacts to ghosts the way you would yeah. expect. That's yeah, weird. yeah, they see a ghost, and I, I think like podcast is like, all right. What's next? Like, like, wait, wait, you guys need to process right. this. Um, but it's, I do really love McKenna Grace yeah. in this. I, I think oh, she's good. She really yeah. makes it like, I think she's, she's like the key reason why I like this as much as I do, because uh, if she didn't work, I think I, I don't know if I would have been able to like stay awake, honestly. Sure. Yeah. I wasn't really crazy about the Finn Wolfhardness of this film. Uh, that was all right. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I haven't watched stranger things, so I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm, I don't really get it with him. Like, I, I don't think he's like a bad actor or anything. I just don't really get like the appeal, I guess. I mean, he's definitely like a little bit less. Uh, he has way less personality in this compared to what he does in like the it movies, like the it movies. He has a very like clearly defined role. Oh, yeah, that's role. fair. Yeah, he's he's you pretty know? good as Richie in that. Yeah. Yeah. He's just kind of yelling a lot and being in this movie. He's just kind of like his whole character revolves around pining after uh, Celeste O'Connor's character, Lucky. And yeah. I don't know. That, Boring. Yeah, it was very boring. And I especially knew it was boring after like, because it's the concept of like a teenager pining over like an older, you know, woman. And then you watch Licorice Pizza after this. And then you're like, oh, this could actually be done in a way that's like fascinating. Um, But anyway, that's that's bringing up other stuff. Yeah, I think this is another Jurassic World kind of situation. I I think this thing, it's probably going to get another sequel, but I just don't think this is going to have like the lasting power that's really in a shape a like long-term franchise unless the sequel is like miraculously an improvement. But when you watch like the post-credit scenes for this, I was so checked out at that point. I was just like, what are these, what are, why are these people walking around and being shady about it's Ghostbusters? <laughs> this isn't that, Mission Impossible. Right. That second post-credit scene without giving away anything away is kind of baffling, especially yeah. when you like, cause I thought the movie was over. Like I was getting, I was getting up from my seat getting ready to go to work and then like that scene is going on i'm like what is like it's still going on like what's happening like what what is this scene and it's just like um, yeah what else do we need to tease 
Right. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in the next one, but I, I got, I'm kind of with you in the sense, like, I don't really care. I'm always, I'm different though, in the sense that like, I'm not over the Ghostbusters franchise and like, I'm open to seeing another one of these movies. Maybe the next one will be much better. I don't care. I'll watch it. Yeah. I mean, I like Dan Aykroyd and I, I like his enthusiasm for all the weird things that he likes. And I'm, I, I find it endearing that he is a man who has a career that he has, but I mean, you know, him and Sony are clearly trying to make Ghost Corpse or whatever that studio is a thing. And I don't know yeah. if they're successful or not at this point. Not a, not but, a great title, um, but you know. Yeah, Ghost, whatever it is. Um, but I mean, look, like if I really compare this to Rise Skywalker or like Men in Black International or something like that, I think it's an improvement over those type of films. Like clearly kind of trying to do the same things. Okay. Like, yeah. Rise Skywalker is also very reactionary, trying to appeal to the fans, like I mentioned before. And then Men in Black International is like trying, you know, Men in Black is basically the Ghostbusters of the 90s. I also think it's better than Ghostbusters, but that's just me. Um, But yeah, it's like that's like we're trying to revive the franchise, but like give it a new coat of paint. And that was a disaster uh, in every way. And I don't think this is like a full disaster. I just think it's not a very good. I just think it's kind of mediocre movie, unfortunately. I think it's a more interesting failure for sure compared to Men in Black International. But let's play our game, Will. Let's take a look at the Rotten Tomatoes score. Have you seen the Rotten Tomatoes score before I quiz you on it? No. Well done. Well done. Okay. Well, 208 reviews have been counted. This came out over the weekend. I already mentioned it's it's been doing pretty well at the box office, $60 million, which is pretty good for pandemic. But... What do you think? What do you what do you think critics are percentage wise? What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is right now? Uh, I was a little off last week, so yeah, you're a little see. off your game. But you know, it, hey, you got, everybody has their down weeks. Yeah, um, my heart's saying sixty eight percent for critics for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Sixty eight percent, a little off, but not bad. I mean, sixty two percent. Okay, so off by six. So could be better, could be worse. What do you think about the audience score? This one, we got a lot of verified ratings, way more than usual, 2,500 plus. Mm. What do you think? Uh, 92%. Close, 96%. So, all right, oh, you're wow. creeping You're creeping closer. Okay. And then the last, we'll talk about the cinema score. So this is, of course, the audiences who were polled after the screening. What do you think the average grade for the cinema score is right now? Probably like an A minus or something crazy like that. Ding, ding, ding. You got a spot on A minus, which I was expecting. Yeah, either A minus or A. Uh, I was kind of thinking maybe an A because I think it, it is kind of like a crowd pleaser. I think the people who really wanted to come see it opening night probably got into it yeah. and probably liked it. And again, I think it's the kind of movie though that over time is going to sour. Yeah. Yeah. You do the whole theme song now. Yeah. That's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, yeah, it's now playing in theaters through Sony. I keep like almost thinking that it's streaming somewhere, but it's not. You can only watch it in theaters right now. And I do think it's kind of funny, too, how it's theatrical only and it's making a decent bit of money. And people are kind of comparing that to some other stuff that's been doing the simultaneous and how mm-hmm. they haven't been doing as well. But I mean, it's just we don't know anything. Yeah, sure. like, it's, it it's be- impossible to predict. It would be funny if this was streaming on Crackle and just nobody knew it. Yeah, like the one person who like booted up Crackle <laughs> yeah. on Saturday. <laughs> it's like, like, why are you guys go? It's on Crackle, and no one's just like, Wait, that's no still one's a listening. Thing? Yeah. It's like I got to download that. <laughs> and they're like driving an hour to the theater. <laughs> All right, well, that's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Our next film is it had a quieter sort of release site. Well, not quieter in our circles, but I assume like quieter in terms of you know pop culture. 
and that's King Richard. And King Richard is a biographical dramedy, comma, comedy, comma, <laughs> that is directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. This is a big awards contender right here. And one of the main reasons is because Will Smith is the lead actor. He plays Richard Williams, father of Venus and Serena Williams. This is a movie about how he was the parent of these two future tennis prodigies and sort of how their lives came about. The film also stars Anjanou Ellis as their mother, Brandy, and then the two Serena and Venus Williams, the Williams sisters, they're played by Sonia Sidney and Demi Singleton. Now, this movie, as I kind of mentioned before, it's it's getting a big old awards push. Will Smith, I mean, I think it's done deal that he gets nominated as best actor. The narrative is baked in, but we're going to talk about whether or not the movie is actually good. And also, this movie has a real, real shot at not just being nominated for best picture, but you know, it could it could be a win. I think it's one of the likelier films to win Best Picture, although I don't believe it is like the front runner right now. Uh, one of the reasons people are looking at it pretty closely, though, for Best Picture is because it did premiere at Telluride, and so it has data on its side. I mean, Best Picture almost always uh, starts at Telluride and does the festival circuit from there. This movie is now on HBO Max, and it's also playing in theaters. It hasn't made a lot of money, only $8.2 million, but we don't know how it's doing on HBO Max. It does seem to me, Will, I don't know if you agree, it seems to me like something people would be like, let's just watch it at home, right? Like, it, this doesn't seem yeah. like a, we got to get we got to get the kids a babysitter. Let's head on over to King Richard, right? Yeah. No, I mean, initially, before the awards conversation was coming into play, I was just thinking about watching it at home. So I don't blame anyone for just popping it on to HBO Max. Yeah. There's even a scene in the movie where the, the Williams family sits down and watches Cinderella. I imagine a lot of people <laughs> look just like that watching yeah, exactly so there let's watch go. it again <laughs> yeah um, what did you learn from it uh no but i think this movie's getting a little bit of backlash it's getting a little bit of because it? It, it mostly takes place in the 90s uh, people are kind of looking at this movie and being like i don't want a movie about their dad i want a movie about venus yeah. and serena i thought it was an odd choice when the project was announced i was like uh, okay well, like, I, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll see this man i mean this is the, we should talk about what the movie is not what it isn't we got to mention that Venus and Serena, the real life people, they are executive producers and they've, they've been out there saying like, we no, we want to make this movie about our dad. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a Venus and Serena movie that's more about them. And I think that this movie, too, sort of is about how it, it starts with King Richard, with Will Smith as the lead. Uh, he's really like the main character. He's he's driving the plot. But over the course of the movie, he kind of takes slowly and slowly he becomes less of an important character to the whole film. And over time, it does become about Venus and Serena. So I wanted to address that right away. Now, I understand not everyone's going to agree with that, but I'll, I'll say right here, I think this movie's a total winner. It's definitely one of my favorite films of the year. I, it's in my top 20 right now. If it did win Best Picture, I'd be pretty happy with it. I, I think this should be Will Smith's Oscar. And there are two things listeners should know about me in case they don't already. I love tennis movies a lot. And I like sports movies a lot. I like sports movies like this where it's not really about the sport. It's about parenting. It's about being a dad. And it's about kids being raised by someone like Richard Williams, who's a bit eccentric. He's, a, you know, to some people who might, he might seem a little bit off, but he has a plan for them. And, you know, he's a bit imperfect himself. He's got his own issues. And this movie is sort of about, you know, how these two young kids kind of have to rise through all of these obstacles 
through, you know, the confidence and support of their parents in order to become who we know they're going to be today. Because that's the thing. We know Venus and Serena are two of the greatest athletes of like the modern era, you know, the two best tennis players right now, uh, arguably. And I think, I think that's pretty safe to say. I mean, there's a couple others who are sneaking up on him, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, but what about you, Will? I mean, when I watched King Richard, I, I knew I loved it, but I, I did not walk out of the movie being like, can't wait to Will sees this. I, I didn't expect this would be like a Will movie. You know what I mean? Like maybe okay. a movie you like, but I, I don't, I don't expect you to be as enthusiastic about it, but am I wrong? I, I enjoyed it more than I anticipated just because I think when I saw the trailer for this movie and I heard about the build up to it, I had an expectation that it would hit certain storytelling beats. It would get a certain type of performance out of Will Smith and whether it would win me over or dissuade me, I guess would just depend on my mood at the time. Uh, but I guess I went in with a pretty good mood because I wound up enjoying the film more than not. I mean, certainly I think it's flawed and I, I would, uh, argue that does have some things I think are worth criticizing, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's like a, a primo dad, movie, you know, sort of in the same vein as something like Ford versus Ferrari, where you know what's going to happen. You you know what type of movie you're going to expect from this, but it hits those beats pretty well and it gets you energized and gets you hooked into it. And even for whatever it is, like two and a half hours long, it's pretty breezy and enjoyable to watch. Um, and it's a, it's a fun time. I mean, it, you know, it hits the crowd pleasing marks that it wants to strive for. And by and large, I think it's a it's a solid time at the movies. Yeah, I mean, I think the Ford versus Ferrari comparison, that is pretty interesting. I'd say what this movie has that that movie doesn't, even though I do think they're in the same zone, is I think this movie is, though, a bit deeper. I think that it's like it's a lead performance. And I think the the politics of the family itself are way more interesting to me. Like when I think back on Ford versus Ferrari, like I remember the really cool like I, I remember how Mangle just like danced with the racing scenes. And that was like the main draw yeah. of it. And surely in this movie, I mean, the tennis in this is really, really solid. It's, it's thrilling. Uh, I think they did yeah. some wonky. I think they did some trickery with the the tennis to make it look even better but i i say this as like a tennis like i i love all things tennis and i was pretty happy with it oh really i didn't know that about you I oh the tennis yeah scenes were Julia, you don't know julia tady and i constantly like uh unprovoked will will be like tennis by the way <laughs> um well you'll have to have a conversation with my sister she's a tennis player uh we'll but, get her in the group chat sure hey and hey i'm a tennis player will ash and i played tennis you know that? oh really in, yeah, uh, high school. Oh, wow. For how long? I played uh, two years of high school because I also played soccer. And so I kind of, I, I, yeah, I, I was also into theater, right? So there was a couple, sure. there were two years where I did theater and choir instead of tennis. So mm-hmm. my heart, my heart got pulled in all directions. Had to choose between sports and athletes or sports yeah, it was, it was and It was theater. a real high school sports musical, my yeah. Uh, upbringing. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought the tennis scenes were fine. It was a lot of like kind of like close ups and then like long shots in a way that I felt like it didn't quite match the energy of the tennis themselves. But I thought hard disagree. I thought the editing kind of made up for that in terms of bringing that energy that you need for those scenes. So, uh, I mean, I guess it wasn't quite as fond of those scenes as you were, but I think they did the job. So, yeah. Right. Well, hey, what, what do you think about the Will Smith performance here? The guy is obviously up for best actor. I think he has a pretty good shot for it. I mean, he's I think yeah. in outside of this movie, he's due like he's gone. Not, he's been nominated twice 
And I think, I don't know this if I would have, I, I think this, the, this performance though, I like this performance more than those other two. It's not my favorite Will Smith performance, but in terms of like, if he's going to win an award for one, I, I, what I like about this one is we usually get Will Smith, the, the charmer, you know, the guy with all the swagger, you know, he's a little bit like the precursor to Dwayne, the rock Johnson, where it, it always just feels very, man, not manufactured, but it always feels like very pre-planned, you know, like how many times is he going to lose in a fight? Like how, how are we going to make sure he looks like a winner all the time? And in this movie, I think he's way more vulnerable, way more well-rounded. I thought like, I, I really like how he, he brings like, it's almost cartoonish what he does with this character, but the fact that he does it like that, like the hunch and the accent and how he responds to people. And it's a very unlikable character at times, uh, which I appreciate because it's a more interesting character doing a movie. At the same time, I've just constantly rooted for the guy. And I just found, I mean, I don't think Will Smith ever like perfectly disappeared into the character, but there were times when it did happen for me. And that almost never happens for me with Will Smith. <laughs> like I'm always thinking like, Hey, it's Will Smith. You know, it's Will Smith doing a Will Smith thing. Yeah, I mean, I think compared to some of his recent films, like he's just been on this trail of not doing a lot of great films, just to be blunt. Like uh, he did like the Latin. I know some people support Gemini Man. I wasn't crazy about that one. Bright, Collateral Beauty, Suicide Squad, Focus, yeah, Winter's Tale, uh, After Earth. It was just it's, it's, it's been it's been tough. <laughs> it's it's been tough. Yeah, for Will Smith, I. I thought Concussion was all right. It wasn't like a film I would probably rewatch, but I thought he was fine in it. And I think I'm sort of in the same camp with King Richard for him, where it feels like a performance. Like, it feels like a movie star performance to me in a way that I didn't feel it quite... Like, I never felt like I was watching something outside of Will Smith's performance. Like, I, I felt like he was giving his all in it, and I think he committed to it, but I didn't feel like it felt as natural as, say, I'm looking up her name, the... Um, the 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 woman that played Brandy in the film, Anjanu um, Ellis. Oh, Anjanu Ellis. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic. I think her performance is a lot more natural, and I felt like because she was working off of Will Smith, he was able. Yeah. She was able to uh, kind of bring him down to earth in some scenes where he she's was key a to the movie. For my taste. Yeah, yeah. If, if without her, I think this movie falls way too squarely into that trap that I think people are knocking it for, Absolutely. which is, you know, lionizing this man. But at the same time, I, right. I want to make it clear that if you were around in the 90s, which we were, but I mean, we weren't like, you know, we weren't super tuned in or anything, but the perception around Richard Williams, even post 90s, if you're like in the tennis world, is that the guy was like super like people didn't like him. People looked down on him. People said pretty awful things about the guy. He People considered him a showboat and off his rocker. And I think unfairly so. And I think this movie is sort of like trying to reclaim like, okay, yeah, like he's a bit eccentric and he's got his own way of doing things and he frustrated people. But you know what? His sisters love him to pieces. And I think that's ultimately what this movie is about. And I think that's why I connected with it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but looking at it as a Will Smith vehicle, I agree that because he's been trying to push away from that like big willy style like i'm you know everyone's favorite leading man i'm just you know effortlessly charming kind of doing my thing like i i want to say ever since like that seven pounds hancock era he's been kind of trying to play more prickly characters like obviously he goes back to like doing that with uh like his old will smith thing with like boy bad boys for life and like aladdin to some extent but you know clearly like 
Suicide Squad and Collateral Beauty are character in those movies. He's playing characters that are meant to be a little bit rough around the edges, like not the Will Smith that we're used to or accustomed to from the 90s and 2000s. And I think this movie is better at kind of blending those two sensibilities as far as getting the traditional like Big Willie style, like just, you know, fills the screen up with his energy and enthusiasm. It's like you can't look away from Will Smith. He just has that movie star charisma that is becoming more and more of a rarity at the on the big screen right now. But at the same time, like you said, like he isn't always an agreeable character. It kind of reminds me of um when we were talking about Finch with uh, Tom yeah. Hanks, where like that's a character like it's he's doing the Tom Hanks thing, but he's also a little bit harder to read and it's a little bit harder to like at times because he's, you know, kind of uh, prickly and he ha- he's stubborn in some ways. So I think that was effective. But like I said, I think his performance, it always felt like a performance to me. I don't think it felt as natural to me as I guess it felt to you as far as making me believe that he was Richard Williams in the movie. Hey, look, if I'm looking at his other performances, I think compared to those, I just felt like his heart was in this one. Like he really wanted to do a great performance, right? And I I really like, I I really respect that from the guy. And I I think that, I think that's partly why, like, I want him to be rewarded for his effort because he's a, I think he's the kind of actor who is always trying to like deliver to audiences what he thinks they want from him. And I think he's, he's rightfully had the inclination that people want more Will Smith, like they've gotten Will Smith in the past. You know, Will Smith as the superhero, Will Smith as like the smooth talking guy. I think this movie, though, is a little bit more of like, all right, well, I'm just going to kind of take a big old risk. And I think part of the reason his heart's in it in that risk is because you can kind of feel that he's sort of putting that same level of like, this is what it means to be a dad that he would do to his own kids. You know, there's a really great line in this where he says, you know, the world never had respect for Richie Williams talking about himself, but they're going to respect you. I think this is the chief reason why I think like, yeah, this movie is not about Venus and Serena. Ultimately it is about Richard Williams love for his daughters. And that's what the movie is. And I, I get it. Like if, if you are looking at this movie and you're saying, well, I don't want that. All right. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's super fair to be like, to expect something from this movie that's not offering. Like if it just wanted to do the simple cut and dry, here's a story of Venus and Serena, like cutting through, busting down the barriers. Hey, I'm there for that too, because mm-hmm. I think they're truly inspiring. And I could weirdly see this movie getting a sequel, but I, look, I, Mm. I, I'm glad we got this though. I think it was a little bit more unique in that respect, and I, I think that it's it's a solid crowd pleaser. I think people are really gonna like this. Like people who go into it pretty open minded, who sure. know at least part of the story. Even people who have no idea who Richard Williams is, I could see people people just being like, "I didn't know that," and and being inspired. And you know, this movie is also funny. Like this movie has a good sense of humor. John Bernthal really cuts loose here. He's really yep. he's really fun to watch. And I think the two daughters are also like. They come in clutch. I mean, it, again, like with Andrew Ellis as the mom, like if you don't get the, the ensemble right, then Will Smith's on an island and he's not. He's being boosted and supported by the rest of the cast who are constantly, you know, keeping up with him and holding their own against him, even though he's the kind of person who can be so larger than life, it's overwhelming. They're doing it like they're making it look easy, I think. Uh, I think the Venus and Serena, like they really come into their own over the course of the movie. And yeah, that's why by the end of it, I was just like, this thing works. This thing, like, package, like, sign, seal it, send it to the masses. People are going to really love this. I think that's the case. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I certainly admire Will Smith for making what I think is a smaller, 
even more personal movie here. Obviously, I think, you know, if we're looking at this movie as far as Will Smith's narrative, like he's clearly been on the outs as far as like, you know, like we said, it's been about a decade since, well, unless you count Suicide Squad, he's really haven't had a major hit in a while. Like it's been a lot of flops. It's been a lot. Of, well, actually that's not true. Cause bad boys. Well, yeah. Bad boys was like one of the highest grossing movies of last year. Sure. Aladdin made over a billion dollars. That's true. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking more critically speaking, he hasn't really had right, right. like a double threat of like, it made a lot of money and people loved it and it had pop culture right. impact. So triple threat. Right. But yeah, but like looking at the past, like two decades, it's clear that Will Smith really wants an Oscar. He's been doing roles that clearly try to favor that type of performance. And some he's gotten close, like we said, with Ali and Pursuit Happiness. And oftentimes he hasn't quite gotten there, like yeah. concussion or he's smart, though, collateral he does, beauty. Yeah, he's smart yeah. because he doesn't overdo it. Like he he attempts it. He goes for it every once in a while. But he's not like it's not like DiCaprio, I think, where he's just like sure. clearly obsessed. You know what I mean? He's just like every once in a while he picks a project that like, yeah, you kind of get that sense. Yeah, like it feels like every like three or four years he like kind of comes back to like that character oscar movie yeah he's like how about um, this and everyone's like no and he's like all right that's cool yeah that's all right fine. all right fine that's fine that's fine yeah, don't fine. worry about that's it that's fine no big uh yeah <laughs> let me try this again uh yeah so i think this is i mean i imagine unless like bandit cumberbatch really picks up steam or i don't know the the oscar race for best actor is always going to be fickle so who knows maybe Agreed. there's going to be a performance you know i'm hearing leonardo dicaprio is really good and don't look up i'm hearing andrew garfield you know we'll talk about him in a little bit yeah so who knows what's going to happen but he i think he has certainly a better shot here than he's ever had at winning an oscar and he's got way he wins, more buzz you know, he's, he's got sure. way more buzz than those those other ones you mentioned and more so i could see yeah. it i could really see and everyone it. likes Everyone likes Will Smith. Like, uh, who doesn't like Will Smith? Yeah, the industry likes Will Smith, and that's the key to an Oscars race. Sure. So I think, you know, it could happen. I I think for me, though, looking at the film as a film, uh, I I think the movie doesn't quite juggle the balance between hearing or seeing Richard as, like, this kind of crackly, hard-to-reckon-with person while also kind of glorifying him and recognizing, like, clearly what he did paved the way for uh, Venus and Serena being the star athletes that they are. I think it's a tricky balance. The movie doesn't quite land, but I think as an entertaining dad movie, it finds that right balance of heart and entertainment and humor to, to make it an enjoyable ride. So I think it works better as a crowd pleasing piece of entertainment than as a sturdy character drama. But, you know, by and large, I think it's a, a fun, enjoyable film and I certainly got more out of it than I anticipated. Yeah, I definitely had that feeling during this movie. I mentioned this in my review. It's like they don't really make them like this anymore, you know, where it's like it's it's safe. A mid-budget, I guess. Character yeah, mid-budget, drama. character focus. It's about something really interesting and it's just done really well. Like I felt like every scene had a lot of urgency and, and there was always something interesting happening in every scene. Yeah. And yeah, that can be kind of rare these days. A lot of a lot of films drag, you know, these days, sure. unfortunately. But this one, even though it is pretty long, it's over two hours. Uh, it didn't drag for me, at least. But all right, let's play our little yeah, game. Yeah, it felt like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Very sure. much so. I th- yeah. Well, the only thing that did go on a little bit too long was, I think, the the last tennis match. I think they yeah, should have they sure. should have tightened that up a bit. But that's fine. Yeah. Um, it had a really good moment, too. All right. Rotten Tomatoes, 172 reviews have been counted on Rotten Tomatoes, Will Ashton. What do you think the percentage score is of people who liked it? Uh, I think critics are probably favorable on this one. So I'm going to say 87%. 92%. 92%. So All right. You've been off by around five or so lately, which, okay. you know, that's not bad. 
I mean, you're guessing out of 100. Um, but yeah, 92%. It's certified fresh. And I took a quick glance at all the rotten reviews counted so far. I mean, a few people that I know and, and respect have been pretty negative on the movie. One person that I read pretty regularly gave it a zero out of four. That, that broke my heart a little bit, but hey, what are you going to do? Oh, wow. What do you think the audience score is, though, Will Ashton? We have 250 plus verified ratings. Um, I think it's probably going to be the same as uh, Ghostbusters, probably 96%. Close, 99%. Wow. It's one of the all highest right. audience scores. I think we've seen since we started doing this game. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. What do you think about the cinema score? Uh, probably a. Oh, spot on. So a, right. a, a cinema score folks in Las Vegas were like, we like tennis too. <laughs> so <laughs> we like these odds. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Serve us up more. All right. That's King Richard. It is now available to stream on HBO max for uh, the next 30 days starting this past Friday, and it is playing in theaters. All right. Our last film of the week. Let's do it. Tick, tick, boom. Is that how you're supposed to say it? Yeah, it's like all lowercase, so it's like tick, they, tick. They styled, yeah, they boom. styled it as like lowercase tick, comma, lowercase tick, dot, 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 and then a space after the dot, 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 and then all caps, boom, and an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a it's, lot to consider. I mean, uh, it's a title... That just is really loud and yeah. aggressive and passionate in your face. And that is, uh, that's mirroring the oh, film. Oh, that, that sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, this is the first film directed by Lynn manuel Miranda. He's never directed a feature film before. Of course, it's not like Miranda has never directed something. I mean, the guy did In the Heights, um, Hamilton. Yeah. He didn't direct the stage performances, I don't think. He did. He well, I mean, it, it gets a little bit like on the line of like, what, what do you consider a director? Right. Because if you if you consider a director like the chief creative visionary behind a movie, I think that it counts. Now, if you're being super technical about it and being like, all right, well, you know, was he the person who really ushered in, you know, the cinematographer, the editor, like the more film related things? Yeah, sure. That's not really a part of it. But no, I, I think that you can stretch that definition a little bit more. No. I guess. I don't know. If you want to be pedantic, there is like something he directed. Oh, in, like, I the always 90s. want to be pedantic. Uh, there's like some thing he directed in the nineties. I'm trying to figure out what the title is, but it's like a 60 minute student film, which you can yeah, argue was, was young his in first the nineties. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't uh, making Clayton's friends. Okay. It's a 60 minute film from 1996 that he directed. And I believe he wrote, is it so, available to watch anywhere? Like, does he have it on YouTube? I could not find it. I, so, I don't I mean, want to find it. We got enough Lin-Manuel Miranda content to last us right. for a long time. I mean, look, People are exhausted. He's by in it guy. too. He, he, he plays okay. a guy named Pete. Okay. He's in this movie. Look, he's yeah. been in a lot of stuff lately, like starting with the Hamilton thing last summer. We've also got in the Heights and Vivo. He did music for Encanto. He directed this. He's in this. He was in, in the Heights. Like, Oh, geez. Louise. Yeah. Like this, this is What's a in? lot of this guy. <laughs> is that and, HBO show? He's also in uh, our dark materials. I think he's in. Uh, I haven't seen that, uh, but you, yeah. uh, I, I assume you're right. Look, right. I, I go to bat for Lin-Manuel because you know, like, I, I appreciate that the Hollywood system is making room for, you know, Puerto Rican folks, like creative folks. And, you know, I'm Puerto Rican, so I'm going to, I'm going to play that card where it's like, I root for the guy just based on a, like a community thing. At the same time, I'm very sick of him. <laughs> like, I love the guy, but I'm very sick of his whole shtick. But, right. you know, I say that out of love. I mean, it's like there's no denying he's talented. 
Yeah. There's no denying that he's charismatic and charming and he can be very uh, inspiring in terms of just like, you know, he puts his heart into everything he does and it doesn't always work out, but he's he, he doesn't go into something with with a with little less than mild enthusiasm. Like he's clearly trying to make everything as good as it could be. And that's rewarding and charming to see. But at the same time, he could bring it down maybe 20 notches, like just, or maybe <laughs> well, like, maybe just take a year off or something. Just kind of like, that's you what know, I'm saying. cause the guy's yeah. so enthusiastic. Like the dude does Hamilton. One of the few things that people liked about 2016 <laughs> speaking of, and he, he does something that really captures the attention of the entire world, right? Hamilton's a huge, huge deal. Everybody knows it. And the guy gets like the whole industry comes to him with dozens, maybe more uh, opportunities. And he says yes to all of them. <laughs> he just says yes. He's like, Mary Poppins, I'm in. <laughs> He's like, not even British. But I think what I don't know, I think with this guy, I just hope that he learns to be a little bit more discerning of his projects because, yeah, like taking a year off, taking more than a year off of just sort of like maybe sit, sitting back and like kind of enjoying his success. I, I'm not going to tell the I'm not going to tell the guy what to do, but yeah, I just kind of wish he would take it down a notch as well. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to square with you. Okay. Sure. I didn't love tick, tick, boom, especially not as much as some people. Some people really, really love this thing and that's cool. Sure. But I, I was a little bit more like if this is the one thing we got from Lin-Manuel Miranda, maybe the one other thing besides in the Heights. Cause I, I liked it in the Heights quite a lot. Yeah. Good film. I think I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty happy with where we're at. Because I'd, mm-hmm. I'd look at this and be like, yeah, this feels like Lin-Manuel Miranda with Moana, where it's not kind of just repeating stuff we've seen from him before entirely. I actually was kind of impressed with what he did here. Now, this is based on the early career of Jonathan Larson, who's, of course, the playwright behind Rent, a very, very popular Broadway play. It ran for 12 years. Now, Jonathan Larson, unfortunately, passed away very early in his life and it, it, very sad, obviously. But there is a, a story before, like, all of that success with Rent and his untimely death. And that's sort of, like, what inspired Rent in a lot of ways. He's played here by Andrew Garfield. And we follow how he's trying to get this Broadway play off the ground called Superbia. And he's eccentric. He's, he, like you were saying, he's loud. And he's he controls a room. And, and he's lovable. And everything is just music to him. He comes up with songs for anything and everything. He's just a really likable person and he just wants to hmm. you know, make his big break. He's a waiter. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. I wonder why Lin-Manuel Miranda wanted to make a movie about this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, but comparatively, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda found success much quicker than Jonathan Larson did. Right. I mean, I think that Miranda had in the, was developing in the Heights, like before he was like a full on playwright, yeah, whereas, doing that uh, in college i think right where i think yeah. whereas i think andrew garfield's character in this is, is says multiple times you know this has been like eight years in the making and he's about to turn 30 and it still hasn't happened and so right that frustration of like when when's it going to be my time <clears throat> and i'm Which running out of time more poignant be- oh sorry are you all right <laughs> no, okay <laughs> i just uh, i bet it sounded like i was crying it's like when, when yeah. is it going to be his time yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's made more poignant because he did die at 35. So, like, exactly. that ticking clock yeah. element. I mean, obviously, he doesn't know that, but, like, there is an element of, like, he doesn't really have that much time. Like, you know, he, you know, people can't see that, obviously, for obvious reasons. But, you know, he is he is a crunch, unfortunately. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, 
I, I think that that old adage, you know, of like, live like there's no tomorrow, you know, that whole sentimental, that whole sentiment behind don't wait, don't put it off, like, do what do what you want to do, you know, make write that book, you know, write that screenplay. Well, Ashton, it's I think I think you got it. You got it cooking. I, I want to read it. Uh, I want to watch that movie. But this movie is very much about that. Now, it's also a musical. It has lots of musical numbers. It also stars Alexandra Ship, Robin De Jesus, Joshua Henry, Vanessa Hudgens. You interviewed a few of them here on the show. Yeah. Well, if you, you guys want to check. Yeah. If you guys want to listen to that, that's on the website and the podcast feed. If you want to hear my there's conversations a whole video. with. Yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. If you want to see my long hair and my beard. Yeah, see your long hair. You're you're talking with Vanessa Hudgens like y'all been y'all been pals for years. It's impressive. You're just like, hey Vanessa, how's it going? Oh yeah, it's been a minute. It's great. Yeah. But no. <laughs> um first thing I'll say, I like the music in this movie. Most of it at least. And I like the staging of it. There there are certain numbers, like there's one where they're like going into the penthouse and some of the editing and and some of like when it's very dreamlike. Uh, I was really into this movie during those scenes. I think the first half of this movie is really, really good. Like I was like fully caught up and I was like, man, yeah, this movie is just working on me. Uh, there's like a brunch scene that is very, very fun. It gets a little bit weird with all the CGI, but I, I, I was bought into the illusion and everything. My main criticism with this movie is it's just a bit too repetitive. It kind of just like the last 45 minutes, I, it, it really was like, okay, can we just kind of wrap this up? And I didn't love the ending, honestly. Every, the way everything sort of brought together, it just felt not quite at that same level. It's kind of the same thing that I had with Ghostbusters Afterlife. I just think really strong first half, second half. Ah, it just kind of falters a bit for me. I think for me, it's because I got sick of it. It was just too much of this story. And I think that it's a good message. And I think it's a, a good portrayal of this man and what he went through and what his friends went through and kind of showing you the groundwork for rent, which is really fun. But I had this feeling, I don't know about you, Will, where I was like, I kind of just want to watch rent. Like I love rent and uh, the music in that and the, the drama in that. And I think this is sort of like a, a low rent version of, sorry. Mm. You're really proud of that joke. I I am. I'm going to keep repeating it. (laughs) I'm going to be like this movie Uh, and just keep saying it over and over again. Yeah. Um, So I think we're on the same page, but weirdly we're flipped to where for the first half of this, I was just kind of like, all right, let's get this through. Because it's not like I, I love. Okay. I love musicals. Like I really do. I think musicals are some of the mu- the most pure forms of art there is. And I think if it works really well, there's no better high than a great musical number in a film or on the stage or what have you. Or in a podcast. Uh, sure, on a podcast. I, feel a I think song we've done a few. <laughs> yeah, I think we've we've done a few musical numbers on this show, even. Not enough. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess for me it was just like. Like, clearly, Lin-Manuel Miranda isn't a natural filmmaker as far as, like, his choices are a little erratic. He kind of, he goes with his impulses a lot, and that doesn't make a consistent film, either visually or narratively or even tonally. Uh, I think he just kind of just does whatever he feels is right for the song or the moment, and I don't think his choices are always uh, the the best, I guess. But um, I think there's something about, like we said before, that that enthusiasm that he brings to the project, that earnestness, that sense that he's just like, gosh darn it, you gotta like me. Like, I'm just, I'm putting my all into this. It's, and, you know, clearly uh, Andrew Garfield is mirroring that enthusiasm. I think Andrew Garfield, I think, is the main reason why I ultimately do like the film more than I don't, just because they're both just kind of like, come on, Will, come on, like this, like us, come on, we're just having fun. We're, don't you get in the spirit of it? It's just like, all right, fine. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, feel it's, something, it's a decent Will, feel little, something. Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, I mean, 
I do agree that the numbers get repetitive, and I kind of wish there was like at least one or two that stood out a little bit more to make this a more impressionable film. I guess it just it, it, it does kind of bleed together more than it doesn't. Uh, outside of you know like like the notable cameo scene in the movie or in the musical um, that happens midway through or anything like that, but you know I think. I think it has a lot going for it in terms of charm, and I think it's both amusing and annoying at the same time. And I guess that's to be expected because it's Lin Manuel Miranda. But wow, uh, yeah, respect. I don't know. I, that was, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's this kind of. I, I think that's my general vibe with Men, Manuel Miranda is I find him kind of annoying and also kind of charming. And so I'm just kind of like I felt that energy was uh, infused into this film, and I don't think. There's even a second of this film that is without his passion and wholeheartedness in it. And I think more than not, that works. But, you know, I mean, I, I do think this works better on TV than it does in the theater. That Netflix sheen is all over this thing. Like, it's pretty, like you said, like the CGI isn't that great. His visual sense isn't quite there uh, outside of, you know, some inspired choreography. But there uh, are a few, I don't know a few if musical I agree numbers. That. There are a few musical numbers that I thought were really visually kind of interesting. For instance, the uh, the swimming scene where yeah, he's like yeah. getting inspiration for that final song. I think that's a pretty that's like the scene where I'm like, okay, if he keeps making movies and he brings that level of inspiration to it, I could see it from Lin Manuel Miranda. But I feel like that's those scenes are kind of few and far between for the film itself. But I, feel, I don't okay, know. I, yeah. okay. I, I was I just going to disagree with you strongly. Yeah. That's all. Oh, no, that's okay. I just saying that I think that's why I like the second half more than I like the first personally. Well, you, hey, look, point taken. The second half does have that scene, which I think is one of the better moments in the movie, maybe the best where it really like really gets across this guy's creative process in a unique visual way that only a film could do. And that's that is a, a moment where it shines. I think, though, what I like more about the first half is like how just there's like a life and energy to the entire cast, like they're not exhausted yet. I think like over time, the whole cast gets really tired and run out. I think like the character relationships get pricklier and pricklier. And I don't know, there, there was something about that, like all of that conflict and drama. It was just a lot. And as I mentioned before, it was so repetitive that I just felt like I was getting hit with the same emotion over and over again, where I thought it was more varied toward the beginning. And I disagree strongly about the directing style. I think Miranda kind of brings what I think he's done really well in previous projects with it just feels like the every song number. I mean, I guess you don't agree with this. because You didn't think they stood out very much. I thought they all stood out, at least in terms of the choreography. Now, the music was a little bit more hit or miss. Uh, some of the music I really, really liked. Other, I didn't hate any of the music, but some of it, I, it just kind of washed over me. I was like, okay, yeah. you know. But I mean, yeah, I'll just say I, I think like like you kind of mentioned with the choreography, but also like just the energy of the actors, and I think it does speak to Andrew Garfield's performance that he's not just singing and dancing. This guy is like carrying this movie on his back, but like gliding, like there's no weight on his shoulders. It really is something else to see. And I think that's why, like when you mentioned earlier that like, Oh, does he have best actor? You know, should uh, Will Smith look out? I think if he does, that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. I mean, I would certainly agree that I think the choreography is what stands out to me the most. I think one of the, my favorite scenes of the movie is the one with Andrew Garfield and um, uh, Vanessa Hudgens midway through where it's like kind of like mirroring their like, feelings and the relationship and just like them on stage kind of doing like this these weird kind of quirky dancing it's a lot of mugging and it's a lot of like you know theater kid energy stuff but at the same time i felt like that that got across the tone of what the movie should be pretty well and i was like that's why i was starting to get won over by the second half i was just like okay they're clearly kind of doing some 
interesting things. I don't know how I felt about the stage aspect of it. I don't know where you stood on that as far as like incorporating an actual stage into the story and kind of giving it like it's almost like you're watching like a sandal special at times. With yeah, uh, th- that was one of the elements I did not like. They they cut yeah. to it too often. Yeah, I just felt like it felt a little safe to me almost at times. Like it felt like it was like you know, like I get like you're adapting a stage work and that's like so key to it. You know, clearly, you know, that's Jonathan Larson's style. But at the same time, it just kind of felt like you could have trusted yourself enough to push away from that, I think. And clearly, Andrew Garfield's doing enough to be animated as a personality that I think you didn't have to, uh, you know, rely on that just to get the themes and the narrative across. But I get why he relied on it for sure. Yeah. So somebody I know, somebody that I, I look up to in this world said that this is Bo Burnham meets Mamma Mia. And I think that was the most cursed hmm. thing anybody could ever say about any movie. No, and yeah. then I say that as somebody who really likes Bo Burnham and Mamma Mia. Uh, I bring that up just because I think people are really going to love this. I, I think people are really going to like what they're going to watch this on Netflix and really respond well to it. It has the trappings of that like feel good musical where even the downbeat emotional moments are going to like lift you up in the end. But I got to say, I did I did not love this movie nearly as much as some other people did. And yeah, I, I think I've already kind of laid out my case why. I guess I would just like add here briefly that while the movie can be kind of annoying, it, it, I'm glad you mentioned the whole like theater kid energy. Like I, it, it's like what you were kind of saying for Best Summer Ever. You know, that movie with like the kids and they're doing their, they're putting on their show and they're, they're doing the best jo- oh, darn yeah. job they can. And, um, oh, I mean, if we're talking, <laughs> if we're comparing the two, this is nowhere close to capturing my love and enthusiasm for Best Summer Ever. Best I Summer assume. Ever, I think, is what I think, you know, a similarly kind of shabby all over the place film that I think just nails the energy that this movie is trying to get for sure. Watch well, that movie on Hulu. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm not going to co- look, I'm not going to stack them up. I'm not going to compare. Them. I'm just going to, I'm going to compare them in the sense of where they are similar and where they are similar to me is like, yeah, they have that catchy sort of earnest enthusiasm of somebody who loves musical theater that I respond positively to. So even if I don't love every element of this, and even though I was kind of checking out in multiple places, I was always on the movie side. I was always kind of, you know, sit, sitting in the, the audience being like, you can do it. You can you can make your dreams happen. I got your back with this. And so I, I was I was okay with it. But like we said at the onset, I Lin-Manuel Miranda, take a breather. You, you, you deserve a little bit of a break. You know, I don't want to twist your arm, but we really need you to do that <laughs> because I, I, I want him to make more things. But I don't want I just don't right. want him to, like, really get played out so much that we'll, we don't get anything from him anymore because the whole pop, mm. everybody's just sick of him. I think that already happened, though. Yeah, um, I think I, I mean, not maybe it's because of award season. I'm getting kind of cynical about these things, but I think he's going so gun ho with movies right now is because he just wants that Oscar because he has the Tony. He has quite a few Tonys at this point. Yeah. I'm sure he has quite a few Grammys. And I imagine he has an Emmy at this point. So if he gets that Oscar, he's an EGOT. And true. he has not gotten the Oscar yet. I mean, he got close with Moana, but it didn't quite happen. And so he's just like through tooth and nail, just trying, you know, shacking up with Disney, just doing musical numbers left and right for them, doing all these other things. I think he'll get an Oscar at some point. It's I think he could for Encanto, not this. Yeah, I think he, he did music for that film too, right? Encanto has a, a yeah. song in the third act, and we'll talk about that film coming up soon, where not in this episode, um, but it has a song that I think has a really, really good shot because it's fantastic. Yeah. And we'll see. Is there is there an original song in this film? I don't actually know. 
Good question. Uh, actually, I don't think so. And I was thinking more of like in terms of like best picture or something. And I, yeah, I don't see any award he would get from this film. I, besides, yeah, it's not going to get best director or anything like that. Right? I mean, I think performance, like uh, if it gets a nomination, it would probably be for Andrew Garfield for best actor. I don't which, imagine we'll get adapted screenplay, but we'll see. I, I don't know. Maybe. Did he, he didn't write the screenplay, right? That was the Dear Evan Hansen guy, right? Uh, right. So the screenplay was by Steven Levinson, who you're right did that and when's when's he gonna get his he got because i know that guy has a tony if he has a tony and an oscar i don't mm. know if he has a grammy but oh well we don't have to go there um sure. but yeah i guess we can play yeah. our game for tick tick yeah. boom well there's no cinema score right um i'll dub i don't think so but i'll double check in a yeah. second first though let's look at the rotten tomatoes so 132 reviews have been counted and yeah it's on netflix a lot of people are watching it uh, it seems I should say, I don't actually don't know if it's taken off that much. I, I don't think it's, I mean, it didn't, t- it didn't beat red notice, not even close, but, no. or tiger King two or whatever, but I think, yeah, it'll grow. It's one of the few Netflix movies that I think will actually gain more notice over time. It'll get what yeah. they want, which is like the word of mouth that people are like, Oh, you got to watch it. It's Lemon and Miranda. It's like, how have we not heard about this? And it's like, it's on <laughs> well, Netflix. Yeah. It'll get an awards boost too. Right. I mean, I think people are going to like hear about it and it's going to keep getting like a mention and everything like that. Yeah. I'm looking at the top 10 red notice and tiger King and cowboy Bebop and Hellbound and arcane. I'm not seeing, yeah, it's not even the top 10. That's, that's, I mean, we even have Vanessa Hudgens in the princess switch three that's showing up yep. and not this. So that's, that's funny. Cause yeah. Cause I, I heard at least a couple people were like, Oh, did you interview her for the princess switch movie? I was like, what, what princess switch movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and it's funny too, because when I opened up Netflix, literally tick, tick, boom was under popular on Netflix. Yeah, sure. It is. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe that's the case. Okay. Oh, yeah, 132 no. reviews. What do you think the score is? For critics, uh, yeah. I'm going to say somewhere in the 80%. I don't think it's 90, but I could be wrong. I'm going to say 88%. Wow. It's been a while since you got it exactly right. And you've only got it, I think you've only gotten it exactly right a couple times. Oh, yeah? Not that if I recall right, yeah, I should I should start keeping a spreadsheet, you know, put your, <laughs> yeah. like make like a training card or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like he Wikipedia has a pretty good page. average. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 88%. Uh, so really, really oh, strong. Wow. Yeah. Audience score is a little bit trickier, right? Because this one has fewer than 50 verified ratings. I was actually shocked when I, I just saw that. And I was like, oh, I, feel, I, I thought way more people have been watching this. Um, if you go to Letterboxd, uh, it does have 28,000 watches. So that's much yeah. stronger. Um, but yeah, I guess people just aren't, they're not, they're too entranced by the movie. They don't have time to get to Rotten Tomatoes. But sure. yeah, what do you think that is? Uh, I think it's going to be 94%. Wow. Only one off. It's 95%. That you, 95%. you had your finger on the pulse of tick, tick, boom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there's, if there's a bomb going off somewhere, I know who I'm calling. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no cinema score that I can see. I imagine it'd be pretty high, probably A or A minus very likely. Sure. They're just so caught up in their feelings with ghostbusters and king richard they can't even yeah uh emotionally or mentally compress what this movie's about they're, so, they're still I mean, the, yeah they're still in the lobby of the theater being like oh, hold on <laughs> <We're> still, <Yeah. laughs> what happened to muncher <laughs> explain to yeah. us why muncher had to die um i'm joking i don't i think muncher was already dead all right what Wait, are we talking about well, next by, week Washington? <laughs> by nature being a ghost he has to be dead right I, that's what i'm saying right um 
Next, I think we have Encanto. We have House of Gucci coming up this yep. week. Uh, I also really, really, really want to talk about Drive My Car, uh, which is a Japanese drama that is three hours long, and I really want to talk about it. And um, I don't want to say anything yet. Uh, Encanto, though, I think it's going to be the big movie. It's the big Disney animated movie. I really like that movie as well. It's really good. House of Gucci, which we're thinking of maybe doing a bonus show, so that could come out a little earlier. Who knows? Uh, I yeah. think Licorice Pizza is coming out in limited release, but you're, it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to catch it in time, huh? I don't know when I'm seeing it. I want to see it, obviously. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about it without you. It. Yeah. yeah, I would love to see it. I don't know when that's going to be. I hope soon. I mean, okay. I'm, you know, with bated breath, I am waiting <laughs> to see this movie. But What about Power uh, of the Dog? Power of the Dog it is coming to me. It's coming to the theater where I work, the Harris Theater. So come on down, see it if you live in the All Pittsburgh right. area. Um, yeah, I'm going to be seeing that this weekend. So I'm excited to check that one out and we'll be talking about that one. And there's yeah. also bruised, I think is coming out bruised, which, you know, I'm, I'm not prioritizing, but I know it's, it's getting some chatter as a, an interesting one to see. Sure. Um, uh, that's the Halle Berry thing. Um, that said, there's, I'm going to be seeing uh, yeah. Serrano and the lost daughter. And I, there's a lot of stuff. Oh, you're talking about, uh, Cyrano, Cyrano, Serrano. I don't know how you pronounce yeah. it. And then there's also the new Mike Mills film, Come On, Come On, which I missed my screening for, but I hope I can still see this week. I'm really curious about it. Joaquin Phoenix, that's another, you know, okay, is this a best actor, you know? Well, uh, even though Joaquin already got the, he got his gold. So I don't, I don't know if this would be the one that would get him a second, but never say never. I mean, we'll probably have to push some of these two next week just because there's just so many and there's not a lot coming out that first weekend of December, I think. So, um, well, there's Nightmare Alley. We'll get to, is that coming out the first weekend of the... I thought that's the 17th. I might be thinking of uh, when the screening is. So, yeah, you might yeah, be right. The screening, I mean, we might do a bonus for that because I think we're both seeing that in the first sure. uh, first day of December. But, um, yeah, I, I uh, believe that's coming out December 17th, which December is going to be packed. I mean, man, I don't I don't know how we're going <laughs> to get through it. But, uh, I know, I know. We're going to do our best. Yeah. You know? There's the Beatles doc that Peter Jackson did. Yeah. There's... Um, Matrix. Well, no, I mean, I just meant for this week. Uh, oh, I was talking about December. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I was going back to Thanksgiving. There's that. There's 8-Bit Christmas, that Neil Patrick Harris thing on HBO Max. There's... Um, I know the listeners are still chomping at the bit for our late Home Alone review. Home Sweet Alone, oh, yeah, home whatever sweet. it is. Are people asking about that? I honestly forgot that was a thing. No, nobody... Not a single soul has right. been curious where that is. They're like, I think, um, I think we got it. I think we can, I think we can handle this, John and Will. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to try to do something for red notice. Maybe we'll see. Uh, I uh, don't want to, if we sure. don't have to, I, I'd, I'd like to see the feast. Um, I'd like to see oh, India's yeah, like to sweets see and spices. I don't know what that is, but, Oh, um, that, that movie looks really nice. I think Kimber Myers watched it and she did a review and, uh, there's that Brian Wilson, sure. A documentary that I'd like to see. Oh. I mean, there's too, just too much. I can't. I don't even. I don't even know about those two, but I'm. I'm curious. I don't yeah. know what those are. Yeah, the Brian Wilson doc. Uh, I think comes out this week as well, and has really, really great reviews so far. Um, and it's already in limited release right now. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, a lot to talk about. Not a lot of time to talk about it. I know you have to get going pretty soon. Yeah, let's so. get out of here. Let's let's yeah. go watch some movies. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Signing off from the Internet, California. I'm John Agroni. And if you're in Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. See you next time.